Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams. And I'm Joe Anders. Joe. Yes? Today, today is a fun day for me. Because oh, yeah. it's, 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 you know, we, we are in an industry with a lot of really good people. But there is none better than our guest today. I mean, probably one of the nicest people to talk to. One of the people that share their knowledge um, the most in the industry. I mean, this is like one of my idols here in terms of the type of person I want to be and how I represent myself in, in the industry. And we are talking about none other than Suzanne Greeman. Welcome, Suzanne. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. Oh, I mean, really, <laughs> I'm so thrilled. I am so very thrilled. A high bar to reach there, George. <laughs> so, so, so let's do a, a little bit of more of a formal intro. So uh, Suzanne's a president and principal uh, asset management advisor for Greenman Asset Management Solutions. They're headquartered in Winnipeg, Manitoba, or Manitoba. Um, <laughs> she's senior asset management consultant and instructor in North America with over 23 years of experience working for clients who manage assets in excess of $75 billion mm-hmm. in value. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. She's a lifelong learner, holds a bachelor in of engineering uh, as well as an MBA. She's got all the, you know, crazy acronyms. She's got IAM. She's certified manager of quality and uh, organizational excellence, certified asset management assessor, certified asset management professional, certified maintenance and reliability professional, certified, certified, certified. certified. <laughs> so, so I have some competition. Is that what yeah, you're I, you know, I, I we, we try to keep these to about 25 minutes, so I had to cut out about 95% of her certifications right. from the introduction. I've got some competition. I'm slapping, I guess. Yeah, I, you know, and she's also, you know, she also does an awful lot of volunteer work. She's uh, on an ISO yes. Committee for Asset Management uh, and a leader of the Manitoba branch of the Institute of Asset Management. Um, she's a keynote speaker. She does a lot of coaching and mentoring for college students. And as if she had no time on her hands, somehow she wrote a book. So she's also the author of Risk-Based Asset Criticality Assessment Handbook. Um, holy crap. Welcome uh, again, Suzanne. Oh, my goodness. That's that's a mouthful. I don't I think you were probably talking about George there or somebody else. But <laughs> that's, <laughs> no, that's, that's all you. That, that is all you. Oh, very strange to hear. I can tell you it, it's interacting with people in industry has got to be my favorite thing. It, it, it really is. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you there. Yeah, that's that's probably one of the more fun aspects of what we do every day, whether whether we're practitioners or consultants. Um, and, and you know, we were talking a little earlier, but prior to hitting the record button about you know missing those face to face interactions. But Indeed. yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, so talk to us about what what's going on in in your world today, Suzanne. So um, sometimes we get a little bit quiet and people get concerned. Don't worry, it's just because we're in kind of dev mode. Um, We have uh, a couple of courses up on East Partnerships and we're a member of the East Partnership group. And we're also working on a few more that will actually support industry a little bit um, bit better as they transition through their asset management system. So so look out for us, um, check out our, our academy because we got a few more courses coming on stream, live and um, on-demand type courses, self-paced type courses. 
other than that, you know, consulting is is actually what we do. That is our our kind of bread and butter. So you talk about interacting with um, with clients. It's really, and that's why you'll see that I I use two titles. Rarely do I ever use the CEO title. I really use um, principal asset management advisor because that brings me into into touch with my clients more and more. You know. And so that's uh, that's um, the best part of I'd say the best part of what we do. And then of course, um, very exciting. I don't know if you picked up on this on, on social media a few weeks ago, maybe a month now. We just um, recently hired a new asset management specialist, and we um, piloted a, a new um, form of of hiring. So uh, we have that, that, that we really, it's called IHIO. So we do um, an engagement, um, engagement meeting. We bring it down to four steps. That's kind of what we do. The engagement meeting, then the hiring meeting, and then um, a couple of other steps. But we try to see if we can train ourselves to be able to spot the talent that we want and be able to close in exactly four steps, not more, not less, you know? So it's been it's been exciting around us um, changing a little bit. That, that's it. So talk to us a little bit about um, about the book, risk based asset criticality assessment handbook. What drove that? You know, considering that you really deal with all aspects of asset management, what drove um, the the necessity for this book, and how's that how's that translate into how you help your customers? So. The risk-based asset criticality assessment handbook came out of a need to go back to basics. So I was finding a lot of people, I think, conceptually understand why they need to do criticality. Where I think it got lost for industry is that when it comes down to the super nuts of it, like how do I actually put one in? I said soup and nuts. I said it should be soup and potatoes or nuts and bolts. But there we go. So how do I actually put one together? How do I do one? How, how do I put together one for my company, for my assets? So I wanted to put together some guidelines as to how people could look at their organizations and come up with a methodology. So in fact, you will see that I stay away from telling you what yours should be or telling you that it must have these things in it, what I do is take you through a process of inquiry and, and provide you with guidelines as to what to look for in your organization. So, so you're telling me that, that a recipe doesn't really work for every organization? Oh, gosh, no. Oh, I, I got to tell you, I, I absolutely love hearing you say this, Suzanne. Yes. You, you would be surprised. when I When we teach courses, there are moments in different courses and mm -hmm. criticality is one of them job plan detail level is another right. one where we basically say I, I can't help you i can't tell you what's right, right. I, right. I can guide you on some best practices but no one can stand in front of you and say this is it <laughs> like there's parts Precisely. of this that you have to own you have to own it and and parts of it much of it will come from inquiry of the organization and that's the challenge there. A lot of people just want, give it to me, give me a cookie cutter and I will go away and make 100 of it. So it kind of doesn't work like that. So I set out to 
make this like a very, very simple set of guidelines, but also to make it a small book. I, I definitely set out to it. I wanted it to be the kind of book that you picked it up at a conference and on your flight home, you could read it and be done with it by the time you got off the plane. And, well, that's and that given is, me credit, the ability, my reading skills. So <laughs> I, <appreciate that. laughs> I, I might get it done on that flight to Edmonton. That- <laughs> yes, you can, maybe. <laughs> oh, my God. There's <laughs> pictures, Joe. If There's pictures. I mean, well, there's, if there's, there's pictures, the I'm pictures. okay. <laughs> there are. But- you know, there the problem is with pictures is I start daydreaming and I lose my train of thought. So. Then you can't read the words anymore. Right, I can't read the words anyway. So it's, you know. But it is a simple read, Suzanne. I, I, yeah. I do enjoy that about the book. And, and you, and there's research behind it too, which is Correct. what I enjoyed. You've got, you've got references to things like Black Swan and, and things Correct. that are outside of maybe your day-to-day experience, that, you know, that, that gives it a little more oomph behind it, that it wasn't just you in a vacuum creating it. Correct. So so as much as, you know, you want to credit your experience and think that you're all that, when you go to present information to people, you also have to understand what about it also makes that information credible. And so one of the things that I that I found is as I was writing the book, I had to ask myself, And I ended up asking a former colleague of mine, what if this doesn't work? And then we realized that one of the reasons that straightforward doing it, um, you know, just doing your regular matrix and your regular stuff might not work. One of the reasons is actually black swan. So you could have black swan failures. And it's very important to identify what those could be upfront so that you know you know what what pieces of equipment that even though they have a very very low probability of failure could cripple the organization that kind of thing so that said asset criticality is really important that people understand it is one small element of your risk of your your risk management approach it isn't you've done risk-based asset criticality and you're done with risk for your organization like your your actual enterprise risk management approach, your asset risk management approach is way wider than that. And there are lots of other types of risks that you should be managing and dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Asset criticality is the answer to one small part of it. What what do you with all your experience, what's a common area of risk that often people don't take into consideration or sometimes neglect due to maybe just pure ignorance, right? We don't understand the mm-hmm. risk that lies ahead. What are, what's some of those common areas that people often seem to, to not know about maybe that come up as a surprise? I think in the first instance to understand that it is what, when you take, if you drill asset management down into the kernel of what it really is. It is asset performance and risk management. And I think people get caught up with the performance part of it. And even when they think about risk, they they narrowly focus on a piece of equipment failing. And so you will think back about COVID, for example, and you'll see 
that there are so many risks outside. So we need to be thinking about risks, asset risk, risks in a three-dimensional way. And what do I mean by that? There are, of course, external threats. So you didn't create them. You can't do anything about it. You can only figure out how the organization is going to respond to that. And COVID is one such threat. Now, there's clearly the, the very human impact of COVID. But for organizations, one of the first impact was the shutdown of supply chains around the world. Yeah. So so that that's really significant. Mm-hmm. You know, we, t- we talk about things like climate change. You know, how many organizations have started to figure out you know, with rising floods, with increase in 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 um, wildfires, what does the asset base need to do? So the, the thrill about it is that it all connects to the asset, even though it sounds um, highfalutin, it sounds other people should be doing it. The reality is that your assets have to collaborate with the organization to provide a response. So that's one dimension of risks. And then you talk about risks related to the organization, organizations who just can't get their their systems right. So the things that should be defending the organization from from threats and risks, we just can't get them right. So we're talking about lack of systems, incorrect Mm -hmm. people in incorrect places, poor structure, poor culture. Those things are put on the asset by the organization the, the assets don't create that mm-hmm. and then you'll get to understand now that the risks that the assets actually create themselves you know things and some of them you might argue are still created by people you know but risks about the asset themselves such as poor design and poor condition and so on it's really probably the smaller part of what that, that whole complex portfolio of risks would be but the reality is that we tend to as we say risks we focus on failure and and criticality and like i say that's one element of it and a very crucial element because the other part of it is that you know the ability for the asset to just suddenly start to suck operational funds from from everywhere else is to get into a mode of failure that can't be um really mitigated so, yeah. so we know that we know that on a plan that we we have a piece of equipment it's fine when it's running but you know once it starts to fail we have we have overtime we have probably to replace it under pressure and all of the, those things dry up your cash flow but there are other things you know you could have a regulation for example change and i i worked with a with a plant that um a power plant and the emissions regulation I'm not sure if it changed or if it just got stricter. Yeah, it probably got stricter, yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. it got stricter, and as a result, we had to shut down one of the engines. Mm. So physically, the engine was capable of producing, right? Mm-hmm. But its life came to an end because a risk materialized from the outside um, environment. So I'm going to take the first, like, four minutes of that, and I'm going to create a website and just put it on loop. Yeah, right. You're 100% right. A thousand percent right that folks, you know, I guess Joe's question was, what are people not thinking about? Yeah. But you really boiled that down so well. (laughs) Like, thank God you wrote a book. I mean, 
like, I'm not sure enough people hear what you just said. Well, I, I think, you know, what I'm getting from it, now correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. Susan, but I think a lot of this has to do with leadership. It, it, totally. Right? So totally. a lack of systems is a leadership issue. Alaska, uh, a lack of managing risk, that is a leadership issue. Like, you know, all these things. And it seems like every single podcast we do, it comes back to the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, now, it's mm-hmm. having wrong people in the wrong places. But a lot of that is because of uh, leadership, which drives culture, which drives systems, which drives, you know. Right. Um, the problem is they think of these things as intangible and non, you know, qualitative versus quantitative, right? Yeah. Whereas the asset fails and it's not producing, I can quantify. Right. They, they don't they don't understand the how to quantify risk. Yeah. And yeah. so there's no driver to make it better or reduce the risk. There's no driver to improve culture because we don't understand the risk it's creating. Well, that natural human nature too. Natural human nature tends to to believe that it'll never happen to them either. Well, so, you that, know, it, it's that is true. You have that when it comes to risk. It's like, okay, well, will I get you know, for example, uh, HIV? Oh, that Correct. won't happen to me. Correct. Right? And Correct. you know, it's um, it, it's the same. No one thought of the this pandemic i guarantee you there was no one that had any mitigation strategy until it hit and then it was rush and try to figure out how we're going to handle this type of thing right but and i mean i we said no one I, I won't tell you the trick that george played on me i'm talking in absolute uh when i met george um i met him because i had put uh, on on social media that no company has infinite resources and he went and found a company whose name was actually infinite resources <laughs> 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 but i have i have to stop laughing about that but there there are companies who um a focus exclusively on the, on risks and other companies that that would have had because of their way of doing business, they would have had considerations about this. But you are correct. The large majority, particularly industrial-based um, companies, would would probably not have had. And then having lived through, I think, a few variations of this type of disease and, and having been able to contain it kind of probably gave us a false sense of, um, of well-being and security around it. Because you, you'll recall that we lived through several iterations of of flus before right. that we were able to, no, I agree. to 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 contain it so that so that kind of locked it down i guess when i say all i'm meaning the 99.9 percent correct correct there's always and, a point one percent in everything but you know it's the probability of them being prepared statistically is almost zero <laughs> and and you're absolutely correct the and the kind of companies that we're talking about and and companies that we work with i mean we're largely in that 99 percent, so that there's no no doubt about that yeah. um you also mentioned about leadership now there isn't much in the organization that isn't gonna be um 
the responsibility of, of, of leadership. And so even in our own practice, we spend a lot of time with, with leadership. One of the things that we, we have to do, and I try to do this in, in the book as well, and even when I talk to folks, you're going to always find that the people who are closest to the assets and somewhat, I'm going to use a strong word, love the assets the most, are, are always going to be the, the maintenance folks. They, they see it and they see the problems, but they also see the potential of what the assets could be if properly managed and properly operated and properly maintained. Um, the challenge, though, is that with this extreme um, amount of love from maintenance, sometimes there is sometimes other stakeholders are locked out out of what should really be a business type uh, scenario, a business type methodology. And criticality is one of those. Now, if you think about asset criticality in most organizations, that is assigned by a maintenance planner. That is assigned by somebody who is working in the CMMS. Now, you will see that when you bring criticality to what it really is, it is a decision-making tool. That's all it does. Criticality by mm -hmm. itself doesn't do anything. Knowing that this one asset is critical or more critical than the other doesn't do anything unless you're incorporating that into decision-making. Now, what are we talking about for decision-making? We're talking about clearly, of course, how you expend maintenance effort, but then there's also how you expend capital effort as well and, and how you do your capital planning and so on. So the reality is that uh, we're not engaging the leadership or maybe we have allowed the leadership to, the, to become themselves a silo in the organization and to be so far removed from the asset and asset activities that they're not involved in those systems. And when risks become uh, materialize and get to their attention, it is probably very, very late in the game. So um, not to dwell too much on the book, but part of what I do in the book is to outline for people that asset criticality is not a maintenance um, thing. It, it isn't even a part of your maintenance strategy, although you can't do your maintenance strategy without it, but it isn't. It really is a business tool to make business decisions. I think that's great. I, I, I often say that Asset management is for the sake is not for the sake of the asset. It's for the sake of the business. Correct. And, Correct. And, and in maintenance and reliability and in our space, most folks focus on the fact that the asset can fail. They're not focused Correct. on the business value or risk to business value that the asset and the context surrounding the asset presents. Correct. And really you, you say it's about, it, it's about the business for the sake of the business, but more specifically, for the sake of the stakeholders of the business. And some of those stakeholders would be the owners, but the customers, but you also have government, you have regulators and so on. And, and so some of those assets, A, should fail, but some of those assets you shouldn't have at all. They shouldn't be there to be failing. So you really have to look at when 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 you're gonna look at look at the assets, you really have to bring it back to the value that that asset is supposed to deliver, and this is what the whole premise of uh, you know the 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 sacrosanct law 
of, of asset management, it must deliver value to the stakeholders. Now, earlier, you, you we had a discussion around the 99% and the, mm-hmm. you know, the 0.1%. Most, I, I'm going to guess, most, most organizations outside of heavily regulated industries um, like like power generation, nuclear, um, pharmaceuticals, that type of stuff, they're probably not sitting on a business continuity plan associated to different <laughs> right. types of risks. So is your typical, are you typically engaged with companies that are regulated? I, you know, like, how do you engage folks that say, oh, we don't need those types of things, just assess our assets? How do you, how do you, educate them and bring a level of understanding to them that that's that risk is way more than just the asset so so the first thing it, we're we're going to admit at agreement asset management solutions is that we're not going to be everybody's cup of tea so we have a specific methodology that takes us into really together with the organization um, the internal stakeholders properly assessing the organization right and that is not going to be everybody's forte some people might just want a specific thing and want consultancy on a very um narrow scope and that's okay so whether we can or can't do that that has to do with what that is um however in our line of work our assessment takes us through the full spectrum the full vertical spectrum of the organization so when we're doing assessments it will include um, board it will include executives it will include management and it will also include frontline supervisors and and employees so so if we don't get that kind of um, spectrum we outline for the clients that you know that in and of itself is a risk not not doing not being wholesome in your assessment so that's that has to do though with our approach and so we we are also because of what we do rarely ever engaged at the um, artisan level we're usually engaged at the managerial level and filter from there it makes it a little bit um, easier so do we set out to go do a continuity plan for a client probably not is it one of the actions that could result when we look at the portfolio of risks and, and what the risk profile of the organization is? Likely. So that's kind of how we, how, how we work with our clients. Um, you talk about regulated and, and kind of non-regulated. So manufacturers um, who are not making control things are probably in in the non-regulated um, thing, although although I think regulations are in pretty much everybody's um, thing. However, what we have to understand is that we have monopolies, a lot of regulations targeted towards them. Mm-hmm. We have um, companies that do special things that have to be regulated because of what they do, um, like your food and drug type companies. And then the other part of what takes care of people in the private sector is something that that's called market forces now that regulates everybody so if you're not able to bring the efficiency of how your assets operate bring that within the business and make the business efficient then market forces will take care of you and and that's what we see with 
the whole globalization of trade and, and services. How is it that you're able to buy something in, in Pennsylvania where you live that was made in another state or in another province? How is it that you're able to shop on, on Amazon and so on? It is that if the persons who are making said something or delivering said services are not able to bring the efficiency to the product and the services and manage the cost and manage the risk of, of, of the business in a way, then eventually market forces will, will take care of them. That, that's the reality. That's another great point. <laughs> if you don't manage your risk, manage your business, become effective and efficient, the market will just take over. Well, that's, that's pure capitalism 101, though, right? Yeah, yeah. no doubt. No doubt. When, when you and I grew up with a lot of companies that um, we walked down the street and we said, hey, that one used to be there. Yeah, yeah. I used to go to that one to get movies. That's no yeah, longer blockbuster, there. Blockbuster, Circuit City. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think the other thing I love that you said is we're not everyone's cup of tea. No. And I think that's an important point. Yeah. I mean, Joe and I live by that same thing. You know, if, if we're not the right organization to provide the right value of what a customer is looking for, we'll point them in another direction or Correct. just say we're not interested in, in this PO because, well, it's just it, you, you're not understanding everything and it's not going to add the value you think it's going to. So, Correct. Um, and we're in the business of adding value to customers and it sounds like you're much the same. Correct. And not, not every approach is 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 also relevant to every kind of of company and every kind of business so a company might rightly say um this is not what we're looking for and there's nothing wrong with that you know um we're gonna part as friends because at some point we may connect again on on that thing or something else but what is really important uh, or what has been important for us at Greenman Asset Management Solutions is to shape out what our approach is, how we're going to work with, with clients, what's going to be our methodology for developing deliverables that we need to do to add value to our clients. Outstanding. Suzanne, what's uh, what's coming down the pipeline for your organization? Is there anything that listeners need to be aware of? Or where can they go find more information, all that kind of stuff? So definitely check out our website, check out the academy. As I mentioned, we have a couple of um, courses coming up. So that's going to be um, exciting for us. Um, we also, we're, we're speaking at a couple of conferences. We have the Seattle conference that is happening in October, I believe. And then uh, we're also um, part of the planning for the Institute of Asset Management's North American Conference, and that's also in October. Um, so, and for that one, uh, as we're in the, the we're and part of the planning um, committee for that one, I can tell you that this year we're not only doing um, papers; we also have some exciting panels coming up and we're very very excited about about the panels where we're gonna be turning some things inside out to give you a view for example a view of of governance and executive engagement that you've never seen before not from the bottom-up way that we we tend to typically look at it trying to get executives attention we're gonna put them there and turn them inside out and 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 take the view from from their point of view 
So we, we have um, a number of exciting panels and, and some very, very exciting uh, papers being presented. A lot of um, asset owners are, are really coming out and, and putting forward um, what they've been doing and what's been working and what's not been working. So that's very, very exciting for us to hear. So, you know, you can look out for that conference that's coming up and, and see if we can get registered. It probably might be the last of the virtual conferences for, for 2021 um, and, and maybe beyond. So check us out and, and see. We also have um, a recently launched, I would say, branch in, in Manitoba. And our first event is also coming up in September, and that's going to be on asset life cycle. So we're going to be looking at life cycle costs, life cycle activities, and so on. So we will advertise that on social media very soon as well. Outstanding. And it was an honor to have you. It's oh, my goodness. Really, <laughs> I appreciate you being here. Oh, long, long overdue, long, long, long overdue. You know, George and I were saying that we last um, saw each other at Maximo World. So that's, that's, um, that's a long, ago. Yeah, was that 2019? Yeah, yeah, 2019. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a long time. So, <clears throat> but I think, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of hope out there. Um, and I think we um, we will be able to get together soon again. And, awesome. you know, yeah. I know. I just want to sit in a room so I can laugh as hard as I did oh my goodness. <laughs> when we first met. <laughs> I don't think I've laughed that hard since then. I, don't know. <laughs> I couldn't get over it. Oh my goodness! I, I'm just thinking about that that scene with me trying to explain to my husband how this is my troll. This is my troll from LinkedIn. This is what he did to my post, and and we couldn't stop laughing. It was just, you know, I, I remember the first time that I ever went to a conference. My general manager at the time was a, like a weep up, and he said, "Suzanne, Sim and people are the best people. Go and have a lot of fun with them." And I think that has been true of all the conferences that I've attended. Excellent. Sure. Outstanding. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for, um, for being our guest on Practical Reliability. Oh, thank you for having me. It, it was a sincere, sincere pleasure. Excellent. Uh, for Joe Anderson, I'm George Williams. Go make tomorrow better than today.